Good morning. We've been studying through 1 Corinthians. And chapter 7 has been packed with hot potatoes, wasn't it? So far we talked about sex, marriage, and divorce. And today the focus is on singleness, a single life. And uh, because the cultural context back then and now are so different and yet so close to each other, uh, let's get some overview of back then in first century city of Greco-Roman world at Corinth, the city of Corinth, and then very similar values in going through things in uh, California in 21st century. Let's start with the first, first one. In the first century back then, Corinthian young singles were married typically through a betrothal process. The betrothal is a, a, a promise to be married. It's sort of engagement. There was a period, usually fathers will arrange that. And then to be betrothed means that you are already in, in promise and covenant to be married with that person. Um, specifically, starting with verse 25, Paul addresses the questions about what to do about this never-been-married single. So far, we talked about widows as well. Um, <clears throat> What are the single issues then? The Corinthian church, there were some ascetics. This is a syncretism of Greek philosophy of dualism that says anything spiritual is good, anything physical is bad. So ignore the physical, the tangible, embrace the spiritual, the untangible. Even in our days, there's a syncretistic, the mixture of uh, thinking is still around. And back then, basically, the issue was this. In order for you to be spiritual, there's some of the Corinthians Christians who were influenced by the dualism, basically says, well, unlike the hedonists, one extreme with that, if you ignore the tangible things, either you become hedonistic, any seeking any pleasure, because body doesn't really matter. Sexual immorality wasn't rampant in that sense. But as they becoming Christian, they went to the, the other extreme and said, well, because body is bad, anything that you desire from the bodily things, the, the natural drive is bad. Even sex within the marriage is bad, so stay away from sex life. But today, these ascetics were actually giving advice left and right, indirectly and directly, pressuring all these people, young singles and their fathers, who are, who are in the betrothal, not to go through the promised marriage. So what do you do? That's one of the questions. What to do? To marry or not? Was their um, question. Obviously, this was 
distorted view of spirituality. Now, in 21st century, I looked it up, a few things, and it was more than I could bear. So I'm going to hold back a lot of things I researched. Um, U.S. Census Bureau in 2010 reports that nearly half of all American adults are single now, all-time high. And they, the Bureau defines adults as, uh, the single is defined as adults who have never been married, are divorced, or are widowed in American Family and Living Arrangement Survey. So among those half of 100 million people who are single, 61% of them have never been married. Why all of a sudden this trend of popularity of being single? Wasn't there a little stigma that if you're not married, you're not really a complete person? No, there's a new trend going on. The single by choice. And one of the, the, the online magazine I looked it up was a Boston magazine. And that says the many singles are enjoying their independence and prefer, have no plan to be married. So it's not like, oh, I can't find anyone. Help me find anyone. I'm dying to get married. But many of them are enjoying single life for the wrong reasons. I'll give you a little bit of preview what Paul's going to talk about. Paul actually raises up the value of single life in this today's passage because he himself was a single. But his reason is completely different. Paul would be heartbroken if he finds out all these singles are being for the wrong reasons, single for the wrong reasons. How about Christian singles in our times? Christian singles are pressured indirectly, directly, not only from mom and dad, from, from the church as well, to marry, oftentimes for the wrong reasons. While there is a bombarding temptations to, to disregard the biblical godly standards of the single life, So it doesn't take a non-Christian to say it's perfectly fine to sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend. But most evangelical singles nowadays seem to agree with that trend in ethics, sex, sexual ethics, as long as we mean so much for each other. You know, that's what man-centered spirituality looks like. The theme of 1 Corinthians is really, what is really truly spiritual, true spirituality? We're going to find out, unlike the Corinthian ascetics, 
who thought anything bad, anything physical was bad, the sex drive supposed to repress anything that you feel you disregard, that would be one thing. And our generation actually tripped away to the hedonism again and saying, uh, in the name of grace, God forgives, and don't be so uptight. That seems to be, and on the, on the, on the other side, in church setting, Bible studies, and the people continually are encouraged and even str- strongly urged to marry. What's wrong with you? You're over 30 now. So the question that we're asking this morning is, what is Paul's advice? Now notice that verse 25, as he begins, is now concerning the betrothed. I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Let's think about that just a sec. Um, in one hand, we need to realize the apostleship with the capital A was the representation of Lord's heart. The full authority has given to these apostles and their living scriptures. So just because he doesn't say this is command from the Lord, that doesn't mean oh, we could disregard. Or if if he says this is command from the Lord, and then we ought to really pay attention. That's a wrong perspective. And um, for that reason, in some sense, I don't like the red letter version of the Bible. As if only the red letter version, because those are the words of Jesus exactly, so in, in put it into red fonts, as if that means so much more than others are easily discredited? No. Every scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every scripture has a supreme authority of our faith and conduct. That's one, one thing. On the other hand, unlike, just tell me what to do, get on with it and move on, Paul's trying to teach us wisdom. Is it? Did you see that? I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. In other words, take this seriously. It might not be Lord's command, direct command, but I speak from Lord's mind, the mind of Christ. And this is a difficult thing in some sense in our generation. Pastor Paul, what, tell me what to do. Should I marry him or should I not? Should I take this job? Should I not? Oh, no, I can't say that. The wisdom is, think about these principles. That's what Paul is doing. Let's think about the drive Paul has. It could be confusing if you're looking for what to do. You're looking for answer. And there is no straight-cut answer. It's okay to marry. It is not sin. It's... Uh, it would be better for you to remain single. Which is it? What are you telling me? Tell me what to do. No, he's giving us wisdom. 
Let's learn the wisdom. The chapter 7 is full of those kind of principles and wisdom rather than direct command. The only direct command was not to divorce, remember? So reason number one for the right reasons or godly reasons to remain single, we could take a look at this as a advantageous reasons as well. What are the advantages of being single? Reason number one, it is good to remain single in order to face the present distress or difficult times. Allow me to read starting from verse 25 again. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek of a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if you betrothed woman, if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. We don't know, scholars don't know, whether Apostle Paul was once married. But some scholars speculate that. And knowing that sentence, that he probably could be married. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember in my wedding, as I'm walking into the, one of my best men said, uh, Paul, do you know there's three, three rings in the wedding? Engagement ring, wedding ring, and suffering. <laughs> One of the reasons why Apostle Paul, uh, scholars think that Apostle Paul might have been married before the conversion, and he seems to indicate that he's a member of Sanhedrin, which is a Jewish religious congress. The um, requirement was to be married men. Um, but some scholars said, said that he might have been uh, supporting the Sanhedrin, not necessarily he was a direct member of that. Uh, we don't know, but for sure we know during his Christian life and his, uh, his uh, apostle's life, he was a single. And then he actually uh, recommends that a lot. What is this present distress Paul talking about? Some commentaries will refer that Maybe Paul had some kind of a prophecy and knowing that impending difficulties or persecution, and they mention about the fall of Jerusalem in 20 years later than this letter. Not, not likely. And they will say, in Paul's mind, Jesus was coming back even tomorrow. Not likely. I think 
um, having meditated on this and look, looking to the commentary, it is most likely that he is generally referring to the last days. Second Timothy chapter 3, in last days difficult times will come, that last days is not necessarily the eschatological, the end time right before Jesus comes. In biblical definition of last days, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, this time is called last days, in which we live now. So generally, it talks about the nature of true Christian life in this world, uh, anticipating second coming of Christ. A couple of examples from the New Testament. First one is Acts chapter 14, verse 21 to 22. The first, very first century, very first Jerusalem church was under uh, persecution. And then that persecution drove people out outside of Judea and Samaria. And this is what, what was going on, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Unlike prosperity gospel, which insists to have health and wealth, everything in your business will go well type of mentality, Paul's paradigm of Christian life is through many tribulations we must enter. The validity of our faith is not necessarily just a momentary conversion but whether we persevere through this tribulation, difficult times. It's not up there, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul mentions anyone who seeks to live a true Christian life, godly life, will be persecuted. Oh, we don't have a persecution. We don't live in Iraq or, or Syria. No, if you really truly follow Christ, To uphold the values, the way of Jesus in your company, to not to lie, to become a person of integrity with humility. There is a persecution in some sense or another. If as a Christian family and Christian church try to uphold the value of the marriage designed by God, there is a text as a bigotry, narrow-minded, and even threats. And I, I think we are going to experience more and more. Just remember that 10 years ago, there was a, just an issue way out there. Now it's coming closer and closer. Any church, any person, any leader who speaks anything negative about same-sex marriage is targeted in, in a very negative way. 
and more and more so-called the evangelical churches and their leaders and pastors speak positively in the name of grace. And let me just make it very clear. The complication, the complexity of those issues on a legal matter, but we should treat each person with high regard and respect and the way would Jesus treat them. But that doesn't mean the grace changed the right and wrong about what God has designed. But to say that is asking for trouble in some sense. If our church was uh, 20, 30 times bigger and larger and has more impact, the reporters come knocking on the door for this kind of comment, wouldn't it? Second passage is chapter 15 of Gospel of John, 18 through 19. These are the very words of Jesus. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, therefore the world hates you. So if this present distress is referred to um, the last days in general, really genuine, authentic Christian life, what should be our attitude, what Paul is saying? It's easier to face trials and sufferings and persecution and Adventures for Christ. Imagine that that I would want to go to uh, Middle East to preach and to share the gospel of Christ. And if I'm single, I don't really have to think about the needs of my children and my wife if they're traveling with me. Even if they're not traveling with me, that couldn't couldn't be the reason for threat or my compromise. But if I'm married, rightly so, I should be worried about my wife's well-being, my children's well-being. And easier to go through... uh, Difficult times as a single. That's Paul's uh, very straightforward advice. But notice he says, the singleness is not the answer for everything. For the married, the advice is the same. Remain where you are. Remain married. Uh, Number one, Christ commands us not to divorce. And number two, God has called you where you are. And he's working with his sovereign will and care, and do not, do not try to act, change the externals, as he already mentioned the pa- previous passage. So Paul's encouragement is actually singleness as a good option. So number one reason, once again, it's in order to face the present distress and difficult times, 
Singleness is a superb way of life. Number two, it is good to remain single in order to redeem the shortness of time by the right priorities of life. And verse 29, he gets more practical in this. Um, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who, ha- who have wives live as though they, have, they had none. And those who mourn as though they were, not, they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Before anybody get the wrong idea, let me stress the strong point. Paul is not urging the men to neglect their wives. Let those who have wives live as though they had none. Why is that? The point, actually the point from which we could understand everything in this passage is the last sentence. The present form of this world is passing away. Anything that temporal things of this world, don't get attached, don't get upset by it. See that in light of eternal things of Christ. And this shortness of time, unlike some of the commentaries, I think that not necessarily that he had this mind that second coming is really drawn near, that it will happen in Corinthians' lifetime, But once again, like the last days, the shortness of time, perhaps it refers to the shortness of our opportunities. Shortness, the brevity of our life. I, I'm a young man at heart. Still, I, I really think that I can't believe I'm over 50. But one of the aging thing is giving me giving me this stark reality of life. How long will I have? Not to mention the, the lifespan, but how long will I have as a person who could really serve the Lord? Who knows? Like my brother, I could get seriously sick. Who knows, God could take me within 10 years or 20. So let's say even if I have 20-some years, that's a puff. That's short, extremely short. It was just like yesterday, I, I used to think I have all the time in my life. That's the concept. Paul is saying, Right priority is so important because you must not waste your life. 
Your time every day is a gift of God. And use it for the glory of God. Don't get obsessed. Yeah, your iPhone is good, but iPhone 6 is not absolute in your life. Get over it. (laughs) In that same sense, in our married life, must be viewed that way also too. This is a hot potato I'm going to walk in. Because, you know, unlike the previous generation, our church is full of dads who love families. Their their children and their wife, the whole family is everything. Work is secondary. Bless the Lord for this change, the drivenness of first generation or the, the boomer generation. Now, family is so important. May I gently say it's so easy for our generation to put God secondary, put our children as if this matters so much, as if our marriage and family is so the most important thing. When you die, everything will be dissolved. The things of God, things, your relationship with Christ will remain forever. Of course, we will recognize our married spouses and our children, our grandpas and grandmas in heaven. Good to see them, embrace them again. But we don't ever live in that relationship anymore. No one's married in heaven. When things come for eternity, we live as brothers and sisters, co-heirs of Christ. So, Sisters and brothers, I implore you, in the name of Christ, in the honor and holy name of God, don't let your family and your wife and your husband, your children become idols in your life. Love them. Be a good leader in your family. Care for your children. Dream for them. But live as though you could be with the Lord next day. And one more thing. This could be a a hot potato for the career-minded people. I know your work means so much, more than money, because you get satisfaction of your self-worth. But your success in your business and your work is not absolute. In these last days, we are to redeem the shortness of time. So do not sell your souls to your business and your work and your career. Those of you who have been making good money and moving into a bigger house is a good deal. You know, bless you, God has blessed you. 
But that also is not the absolute. See, when you become single-minded, not necessarily single life only, you suddenly see things very simple. And there is so much a benefit of single life. And I, I could tell you this much. I have, we don't have much, but I have so much junk in my garage. They're so full of, I don't think it, I, so it's just a form of throwing away without throwing away because we don't have any. You know, you know what I mean, right? But back in my single days when I was dating Kate, when I was an aspiring, aspiring young Christian leader, I could literally pack everything in my Toyota Camry hatchback except the bed and the bookshelf. And I was ready to go to Africa. I was ready to go to China, anywhere God called. Now, I can't go anywhere, even for one, <laughs> one weekend. I was thinking about going on a personal retreat, but I feel so bad because Kate has four sons, rambunctious sons, and Do we have right priorities? Okay, not the wrong reasons for selfish reasons to be single. What are the right reasons, the godly reasons again? Number three, oh, let's meditate on this really quickly because really the, this form of this life will pass away. Uh, Apostle John in his first letter mentions in chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So let's remember that and not to get so obsessed with temporal things. Reason number three, it is good to remain single in order to pursue an undivided devotion to the Lord. This is a climax of his reasons for better option. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the married man or betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, unmarried man, I'm sorry, unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay on any restraint upon you. It's not a direct command, but to promote good order, order, and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. 
Of course, when you really think about all these uh, people who, who walk ahead of us, I mentioned um, my book mentor, my hero in a sense, John R. W. Stott, who lived, who chose a single life, and who has done so many things for the kingdom of God because of his singleness. And he was singly focused. And another one is Amy Carmichael, who's a generation before the famous missionaries like Jim and El, El, Jim Elizabeth Elliot. But her writings, and he lived in, she, she lived in as a single in India for 50-some years working with these children and confessing that God has given me these children rather than my own. I knew from the beginning that I would not be married. And her writings impacted, continually influences, even from time to time when I'm thirsty spiritually to drift it, I go to her journal too. Lest you think that these are special people. I'm not like them. Extraordinary spiritual people. The single, singleness must be just for them only. You know, actually, Paul's logic is, that, is like this. We all want to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. But when you have responsibility, rightful responsibility, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a, as a mother, that is absolutely important as well. So your heart is divided. So I think it's thankful that uh, empty nesters begin to dream for the kingdom of God again a new way. That's wonderful. But for many of us in this room, we have divided attention. Not only in our ministry, what to do, but even in our hearts. Remember, this is not Paul's telling us what to do, but the principle. Principle is undivided attention, undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, I'm going to shock your world a little bit. You heard the right thing so far, but if you do not have gift of singleness, i.e., you're easily tempted sexually. You easily feel lonely and feel inner emptiness to connect with someone special like your wife and your husband do. You being in the marriage with the gift of marriage will help the devotion to the Lord more single-heartedly but if you choose singleness for the sake of following what seems to be better without the principle, what's going to happen, you remain single, you're going to be full of lust and full of waste time you're thinking about all these emotional things. You know, emotional fantasies about romanticism. Gift of singleness is basically means the passion, sexual passions, as well as loneliness is under control. There is no need. That's a 
Very few people, the natural design for man and woman, God's creation is that we long for another person. The sex drive is good. So we are to celebrate sex in marriage. We talked about that. I heard great rumblings about men and women's groups sharing and some application out of that. Hooray. <laughs> but this purpose of worry-free life, I contend that because Paul's view of for marriage is so high. Ephesians 5, just read that. He's not actually advocating singleness versus marriage, but because of his own experience as a single, for few who could handle it, he's challenging and encouraging. But the principle is still undivided devotion. So may I suggest this? I am so glad I'm married. Because of all these past uh, 20 some years, when I look back, if had I not been married, I'll be constantly bombarded with sexual temptations, hard to control. By the grace of God, you know, I'm above in a way that the ongoing temptations in porn or the internet or something. Not because my determination is so strong or self-control is so strong, but because of my loving wife meeting my needs. I'm being honest with you. And at times, I really think that if I were unmarried, I will be distracted so many things. Will I be able to minister to people? Will I be able to counsel women with the purity of my heart? I doubt it. So don't get the wrong idea of, you know, overly achieving people here spiritually. Okay? Paul is not selling singleness to, to everyone. Paul's actually advocating undivided radical devotion to the Lord. It is difficult when we have little kids running around in quiet time and trying to serve. So there's a fight. Fight of faith. Fight for joy in God, not joy in things. As a married woman, as married men. So most of us in that, is, is in that category, if not all. Number four reasons. Before that, uh, thinking about Amy, Amy Carmichael, this is one of her, her poems and her writings. And I always remember this one. And she writes, Blessed are the single-hearted, for they shall enjoy much peace. If you repu refuse to be hurried and pressed, if you stay your soul on God, Nothing can keep you from that clearness of spirit, which is life and peace. In that stillness, you will know what his will is. 
Did you notice that? She didn't say anything about, I'm so glad, blessed are those single people. The single-hearted. And I believe, for those of us who are gifted in marriage, who are to remain in marriage, can seek this single-heartedness. It takes a fight. Lastly, number four reason, it is good to remain single if you have the gift and conviction of singleness for the service of the Lord. I kind of hinted enough so far, but let's hear from Paul directly. Uh, Verse 36, if anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, Thinking that it could be man or woman who's married, who's engaged, who's betrothed. If his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wish. Let him marry. It is no sin. It's a lot better than you struggling with a sexual immorality. Verse thirty-seven. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control. That whole phrase is gift of singleness, is what I meant. And has determined this in his heart, to keep her as betrothed rather than getting married, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Isn't that wonderful advice? You get the picture now, right? He's not say marriage is bad, go for the singleness. He's basically, if you have that control and somehow emotional stability and you don't have to strive for it, Use that freedom and space for God's kingdom. You will be happier in that way. And he concludes with uh, practical advice for those people who lost their wives and husbands. Verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to to whom she wishes only the Lord. To whom she wishes. So you feel like a tall, dark man? Go for it. You adventure some. And if you like, uh, you know, poet at heart, and reflective, go for him. And vice versa also too. But only in the Lord. Only those who belong to God those who are believers, those don't date non-Christians, don't marry non-Christians who has a different blueprints and different paradigm that your kingdom and your heart and your purpose of life will be divided. Isn't that wonderful? Verse 40, Yet in my judgment he is, she is happier if she remains as she is and I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. This is a little wonderful, sarcastic humor of Apostle Paul because 
Corinthian Christians who had all different kinds of supernatural gifts and ascetics who are just punishing their body and repressing all those desires, uh, abstaining from any sex, even within the marriage, they really thought they were spiritual. And they have the Spirit of God. And Paul is kind of putting in there, I too have the Spirit of God. In summary, once again, a clear requirement for one to remain single is ability to control one's desires and passions. It is the gift of singleness. If you don't know, you don't have to take the test. You just turn to the person next to you and say, do you think I have a gift of singleness? No. You will sin more. Apostle Paul's advice for the majority of people is to marry. But for few, Paul recommends an option for serving the Lord freely. So it is a good thing to marry. But it's better, in Paul's view, to remain single. Taking his principle from our point of view, I could read it this way. For those people who have a gift of marriage, who will be tempted and distracted if you were single, it is better to be married. That's the principle. So some of you already really feel convicted. Wow, I belong to be married. And thank God for your husband. Thank God for your wife. Covenant to marry, a covenant to love him and love her even more so. God is glorified in that. I want to make a concluding remark before we close. The whole chapter 7 is dealing with the distorted view of spirituality. How about our life, our cultural context? What would be the distorted view of spirituality? Remember, they were influenced by the Greek philosophy, dualism, the spiritual things bad, good, and unspiritual things, the physical things bad. They mixed with syncretistic Christian philosophy, Christian ethics, Christian uh, spirituality oftentimes become aestheticism, aestheticism, meaning this sort of view of spirituality. How about our culture? American pragmatism? Anything works really well, must be good. And we imported that spirituality into the, our spirituality. And namely, it's a prosperity gospel in some sense. But in our mentality, we could continually think the man-centered, consumer-oriented, that God is means to my ultimate end. I want happiness. God wants to, I want God to bless me and bless my marriage and bless my family so I could ultimately get that. No, actually, Paul is driving this point of God-centeredness is the best way for you to live. Why? Because ultimately, when you seek God's glory, you will find 
exceeding joy in that God's glory. God-centeredness is good for you. Do you see that? Singleness is you don't lose anything. You actually gain so much. This is better. Paul, Paul's exclamation mark is that I am not sacrificing for the sake of sacrificing. I'm sacrificing for the joy that I could never muster by being man-centered, me-centered, and self-centered. So as you live your Christian life, in your marriage, in your work, and doing church life, let's be radical about our God-centeredness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for clarity of your wisdom. And we're grateful for Apostle Paul, who, just like our uh, frail uh, human being, he surrendered his life, gave it all to you, And because of his surrendered life, undivided devotion to the Lord, we're able to reap from that harvest in his wisdom, his writings, and his ministry. We pray that you will teach us not to waste our life. Help us to see the eternal perspective in every aspect of our lives. For our church, we do pray that we will continually become God-centered, that God becomes bigger every day in our lives and more desirable every day in our walk than any temporal things in this world. Oh God, open our eyes to your glory. We love you. We belong to you. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.